As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. When I was in high school, I did join the newspaper staff, and partly because, I'll be honest, this is, I hope my kids don't hear this, partly because I thought it would be an easy class. <laughs> oh. I started out working in small town radio, and on the side I had to do news. And when I realized that sports play-by-play was not going to be a career path, it was like, oh, well there's this news thing that I'm pretty good at, and that was the beginning of my path. My parents were very involved in our community. Attending school board meetings, I would go with them, I would write down what happened, I would go up to school board members after and interview them, so that was probably a sign. Wait, what age were you when you were interviewing school board members? I was 12. 12 years old? I was 12. That's fantastic. Everyone goes through a period where you're just buried in information, you feel overwhelmed by your story, you're wondering, am I even getting this right? Is there even anything here? Am I any good at this? From the Fox 6 Studios, otherwise known as Amanda's Living Room, (laughs) we'll explain in a moment. This is a special edition of Open Record during a power outage from the windstorm. I'm Brian Polson here with my colleague Amanda St. Hilaire. And Amanda, this is so weird because we're doing this in person. We're we're recording in person, but also it hasn't been very often that we've even seen each other in person or had a conversation in person. So I, I mean we're we're laughing because this just this feels so strange. Yeah, it's like I've gotten used to just talking to you guys over Zoom and not like seeing you face to face. So it's like you're real. Yeah, yes, <laughs> in the flesh, in the flesh. And it's we- It's also just weird having someone else in my house because that doesn't happen very often. That's, hasn't that's happened true. very often since March 2020. Uh, but so we had a plan to record a podcast episode today, but the windstorm situation kind of derailed that. We have people with power out, schools closed. Uh, Jenna was going to join us. She lost her voice. Just kind of a, a, a mix of different things. But Brian, you had a great idea, and that's for us to to pivot pretty quickly and talk about what we do as investigative reporters. Because every week, you know, we we give you, we give our listeners a look behind the scenes at specific stories and experiences we have. But we haven't really talked about the job as a whole and what it took to get here and and where this industry is going with investigative reporting. Well, it's funny because this is what episode 201, like last week was our 200th episode and we went through the whole thing without even acknowledging that. But 200 episodes in, and we haven't really talked about how we became investigative reporters and why we do this and what it means to be investigative reporters. But that's one of the number one questions I get from people is like, well, so how did you get started doing this? And well, what does it really mean? Like, what is what is investigative reporting? So in episode 201, I thought, well, since we're kind of doing this on the fly, maybe we should answer that sort of base question we get from so many people. So why don't, Brian, why don't you kick us off and take us through 
your journey sounds so cliche, but your journey in terms of, you know, when you knew you wanted to be a reporter and, and then when that became this idea of becoming an investigative reporter and how you got there. Part of why I think this is going to be interesting is I have a feeling you and I have different paths to this. And, and I say that in part because we've joked about you being like, you know, you were like a journalist coming out of the womb, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, we just knew yeah. early on. And, and I didn't know that. And it is something that sort of developed over time. When I was in high school, I did join the newspaper staff. And partly because, I'll be honest, this is, I hope my kids don't hear this, partly because I thought it would be an easy class. <laughs> Oh, journalism <laughs> teachers everywhere just died inside. Well, I, I, and it looked like fun. I mean, at the time, this was the 1980s. 1988, I think, is when I first joined the newspaper staff. And um, it was my junior year of high school. And and I it looked like fun because you got to work on Mac Macintosh computers, which were still kind of like, I think, a new thing. And, and you got to do sort of all this layout stuff and put the newspaper together, which we did like an issue once a month. And I didn't go into it because I thought I'd be this, you know, great journalist. It looked like fun. Now, I was taking math classes and science classes, and and I was destined, I thought, to be a, an engineer like my father before me. He was an, a mechanical engineer. And my brother, who'd gone to engineering school and was at the time, going to University of Missouri at Rolla. And that was going to be my path, too. Dad went there. My brother's going there. I'm going to go there. Um, and along the way, I took this newspaper class and I started to kind of like it. I did some of the stuff on the sports staff. I did some other things. And one of my friends who was on the sports staff with me said, hey, they need an announcer, a PA announcer for the football games. You should do that. And I thought, well, there's like, why would they? I'm just a student. He said, well, they, no, they want students to do it. You should sign up for it. And I did. And Jeff Stallhut and I did the PA announcing together. And I had the time of my life. And I thought it was so much fun that all of my classmates and their families and everybody could hear me announcing the players' names over the loudspeaker. And I got to throw in a little of my own sort of flair. Um, I became known for whenever there was a group tackle, I would say they were tackled by a cavalcade of pirates. And, and my <laughs> friends thought that was great that I used the word cavalcade. Jeff Stallhut came up with it. I stole it from him. Um, but I realized I kind of like this. I liked the public speaking. I liked the announcing. And that gave me the idea that maybe sports play-by-play would be something I'd be good at. And so when I graduated high school, I, I can't believe my parents let me do this, but I said, I don't want to go to college right away. I want to start working in radio because I want to be a sports play-by-play announcer. And I was so convincing that I like, this is my dream, mom and dad, that I convinced them to let me follow that path. And by the way... It was a terrible idea. <laughs> it was a terrible idea. Why? Uh, well, because I, I didn't realize that, you know, to get into like professional sports play-by-play, one of my heroes was Jack Buck, the longtime broadcaster for the St. Louis Cardinals. And and I didn't realize, well, you kind of have to like maybe know more about sports and be connected to people who are, in, you know, big in sports. Um, and, and I just wasn't going to do that. So I started out working in small town radio and doing high school sports play-by-play, which was fun, but it was kind of like pretending to live my dream. And on the side, I had to do news in this small-town radio station. And when I realized that sports play-by-play was not going to be a career path, it was like, oh, 
well, there's this news thing that I'm pretty good at, and that was the beginning of my path. Which is news. funny because I, I mean, you are a news guy, and it's crazy to think that that wasn't the original pursuit. Well, no, and, and it developed. I mean, I, I started working in a radio, I, and it, this is how I think it really helped me take off in my career is I worked for four years at Quicks and Crest Radio, KWIX, KRES in Moberly, Missouri. And I did the news, but didn't just cover, you know, local 4-H festivals and other things, which we did, but we were 30 minutes from the state capitol. And so I would go to Jefferson City, Missouri and interview state lawmakers. And I became actually well acquainted with the Speaker of the Missouri House of Representatives, Steve Gaw, who happened to be from Moberly, Missouri, which is where the radio station was. So he and I became very familiar. Well, here I am on a first name basis with the Speaker of the House of Representatives. And then after four years in radio decided, you know, I really should go get that college degree. I was a pretty smart guy. I should have a college degree. So I ended up going to the University of Missouri, which is a renowned journalism school, and got into the journalism school there. And I was working around a bunch of classmates who were coming right out of high school, and they'd never touched news at all. So they were intimidated by all of this. And I remember going on a story for KOMU-TV, which is an NBC station that Mizzou students get to report on, which is such a great opportunity for a student and going and interviewing the Speaker of the House and walking in with a couple of other students and going, hey, Steve, how's it going? And shaking hands with the Speaker of the House. And they were these other students looked at me in awe, like, how do you know him? And I'm like, oh, well, I've been talking to him for years. So I had this head start and realized I kind of like this and I'm kind of good at this. And maybe I should make a career out of this. So how does that turn? So so we know how you got into news. How does that turn into investigative reporting? Because that's a very specific skill set within news reporting. It is. And, and, and it, it wasn't necessarily the plan for the beginning. Although when I was going to Mizzou, they had a class there uh, called um, investigative reporting. And that sounds pretty obvious. <laughs> uh, but it was one of the electives I took as part of my journalism course. And it was taught by a guy named Brant Houston, who just happened to be one of the founders of Investigative Reporters and Editors, IRE, which is known throughout the, the news industry as sort of the home base of investigative journalists. It is a resource for investigative reporters in print and broadcast all over the world. And here's one of the founders of it who's teaching my class. So I got to learn from one of the best in the business. And I was clueless, but I, I picked up enough to know, you know, that's interesting. I learned what public records were. I learned how many places everyone's lives cross government and therefore create a record and what a rich resource that can be for reporting. I still didn't know much about reporting, but I was able to tap into that later. And so I got into television news from Mizzou. My first job was in Des Moines, Iowa, which is a great place to start in news as a reporter. It was like Market 70. I was a general assignment reporter like most other people out of school. I covered everything from fires and, you know, the crime of the day to a festival that came to town or whatever it might be. But I found myself always wanting to dig a little deeper and being frustrated at the end of the day that my story could only go so far and the next day it was a new story. And I always felt like, but there was so much more to tell. And sometimes I would, because I was on the air every day and I was a lead reporter at night, I would get tips on all kinds of things and I would have to sort of fight for it. Like, let me go deeper into that. And they started to 
trust me to go a little deeper into things. And I found, I really like this. I'd kind of like to do that for a living. And that was sort of the, I guess, the, the, the time when I found the hunger for it. And what really turned it into reality was uh, I found a job that was advertised in Kansas City, Missouri for a special projects reporter, which at the time I thought meant like, hey, maybe I'm going to do like work like Dateline NBC. Dateline was huge at that time. This was like the early 2000s. And I thought, I want to be on Dateline. And this is my path to doing something like that. Um, and, and lo and behold, that was my path into investigative reporting. It strikes me that you seem to have a natural ability for something that's crucial in this role, which is the ability to zoom in and zoom out. So to get really granular with the details, which can become important later that a lot of people overlook, but then also to step back and look at the bigger picture. You know, how does this go beyond this one example or this one story and fit into potentially a much larger issue? It sounds like you kind of naturally had that early on. What's interesting, I think, to me is about myself is that I was always a mathematical person, a logical thinker. Creativity wasn't my thing. I wasn't wasn't great in art. You wanted to be an engineer. I wanted to be an engineer. I was made to be an engineer or a lawyer or something that was very technical and precise. Which is part of this job. There's a technical aspect to this. And I think that's why investigative reporting attracted me is because it's evidence-based and it's very factual and it's not and it's not that there's not creativity because there is but that part of the job was learned for me and that and it's taken a lot of time if you go back to the beginning and and read or listen to some of my early stories the storytelling wasn't great and it really and I still to this day I, I, I labor over writing scripts because the creative part for me is the hardest work the 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 information gathering and the putting together the pieces I love and I, and I crave it's the creative part that I have learned and it's I'm not saying I haven't gotten pretty decent at it over time but that part for me is more of a labor and it's it's just kind of I think the way my brain works I've I've put a lot of effort into it because I know you need that to be good at this job but it's not the part that comes naturally for me for me it was the logical mathematical side and I think that's why I was attracted to that I did hear someone once say, and I 100% agree, that uh, if you enjoy the process of writing, you're probably not that great of a writer. <laughs> well, the then I must writers, be fantastic The best it. writers are the ones who are really just agonizing over it because you are you know the importance of every word. Well, I rem- I, there's a, an old Mark Twain quote. I think it's Mark Twain who had said, you know, I would have written a shorter story if I'd had more time. And I love that because... As investigative reporters, we often, people either laughingly or seriously, you know, criticize us for our stories being too long. And sometimes that's because writing a complex subject in a short amount of time is a really challenging thing to do because you want to just give every detail. You want to explain everything in depth and everything that you know. It's my struggle. But television doesn't offer that opportunity. It's one of the reasons we love this podcast so much, right? We get to go into more depth. But writing concise stories about complex subjects is a real labor. It's a lot of effort. And and so I think to be good at it, you do have to really struggle and labor at it. If you if, if it comes a little too easily, like you said, maybe it's not going to be that good. Or yeah. you're a genius and that's not good. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not a genius either. So you are right in that we took very different paths to this. So, I mean, from... 
from a young age, I, I was always the one asking questions. I was always scribbling things down on a notepad. My parents were very involved in our community, and they uh, really advocated for students with disabilities, specifically learning disabilities. I have a brother who um, had, had a pretty severe learning disability, and so a lot of attending school board meetings, I would go with them. I would write down what happened. I would go up to school board members after and interview them, so that was probably a sign of where I was going. And then when I was 13, our local newspaper... Wait, what age were you when you were interviewing school board members? I was 12. 12 years old. I was 12. That's fantastic. And it and it's not surprising, but it's outstanding. And my I'm parents sorry. took me along more out of necessity because I'm one of six kids. So if one of them was attending a school board meeting, you had to take a couple of kids with you. And so I would go because I could, you know, sit through one of those meetings. And that's just kind of, you know, where, where that natural curiosity became something more and then when i was 13 our local paper they did these classes for the public that was it was kind of like journalism 101 for the public and it was a course meant for adults but there were no age restrictions on it so i signed up and my mom agreed to drive me and i was definitely the youngest person in the class by decades it actually was a sport the first one i took was a sports journalism class which is hilarious because i know nothing about sports <laughs> Abs- i have no interest in sports i know nothing about sports i am bad at sports but it had the word journalism in it so i figured that was a good start and this is why you didn't end up an NFL sideline reporter? <laughs> this, no, I mean, honestly, if we were ever in a pinch and for whatever reason, there there was no one else on our air that could cover sports, it still would be a terrible idea for me <laughs> to, to jump in and cover sports. So um, that class really solidified that sports are not for me, but I loved the journalism aspect of it. And this podcast is going to make it a hard sell if the Packers go to the Super Bowl for you to go to the boss and say, hey, send me. Oh, please don't send <laughs> me. That would be bad for everybody. Uh, no one, no one, unless it's like an SNL parody type thing, you know, no, no one, no one wants to see me report on sports. But I love the journalism aspect of it. And then the, that newspaper continued, the union leader continued to offer those journalism classes. And I kept signing up and taking them and then I became part of our high school newspaper, really enjoyed that. And then right before my sophomore year of high school, my family moved from New Hampshire to Pennsylvania. And my parents joke that my first investigative report was that I, who is very opposed to this move, I was about to turn 15, did basically compiled everything I could and did this presentation about why this move was going to be terrible for our family. At 14 years old. Yes. It's like, this is near Three Mile Island. Look what happened there. (laughs) You can't move us there. That was was actually a crucial part of my... I thought that was the bombshell I was dropping. And then there's Three Mile Island. Wow. Yes. Um, And my parents said, we're so proud of you for taking the initiative. That was oh, and I lined it up with one of my friends' parents to live with them for the rest of my high school career. I convinced them that it would be a good idea for me to live with them for the rest of high school so that I could stay. My parents said, "We love that you did this research. You presented it very effectively. We are still moving, and you have to come with <laughs> us." 
Well, so, not every investigation gets results. It, exactly. So, well, the result it got was that we still <laughs> moved and I had to go with them. And it ended up being great. That move ended up being I one of the best, if not the best things that, that ever happened to our family. And I stayed involved in, you know, the school newspaper type of reporting, which I enjoyed. Um, and it was actually, it was this colossal disappointment to me. I felt like the world was ending when I did not become editor-in-chief my senior year of our school newspaper. It was like, that was it. I was not meant to have a career in journalism. You know, you, you feel that like That was those what you things. thought the trajectory was yes. throughout high school. And at the, I mean, if, if you can remember what it's like at that age, all of those things feel so monumental. I mean, it was, it was devastating. And it, it ended up being a very good thing because it, it taught me that you can work really hard and you can perhaps maybe even be the, the most qualified person to take it. And I'm not saying that was the case, but I, I felt like it at the time and still not get it. You can potentially deserve something and still not get it. And you're that was, you're still just slightly bitter about that. <laughs> I'm just saying the person who took over did a very nice job, but did not go on to have a career in journalism. So, um, Brent Evans, you did a great job. So when I... We're having Brent Evans on the next episode. (laughs) I I don't know if you know that that's scheduled. Oh, well, I think he'd be a good guest. So um, going from... But I still still wanted to pursue this career, and I liked public speaking, and I liked the visual aspect of broadcast journalism. And I'm someone I don't I don't think of myself as naturally creative, but I, I think I do have a little bit of that natural creativity. And so that really appealed to me. So I, I went to Syracuse University right out of high school to study broadcast and digital journalism. And it was one of those things where I, I knew from the start that I wanted to do this. And there were a lot of students who entered that program thinking that. And then you see the realities of it. And Syracuse does a really good job of, I think, of preparing you for the realities. I mean, you're using the same cameras that you use at a lot of your first stations. You are out there turning stories. And for and speaking, a- when I talk about Mizzou being this, you know, well-renowned journalism school, when it comes to broadcast journalism, Syracuse is like right at the top. It really is... I mean, it is so hands-on, and I felt so prepared. And for me, every step I took convinced me further, oh, this is what I want to do. And I think there were a lot of other classmates who said, ooh, maybe this isn't for me. And that's part of college. That's part of figuring it out. But for me, it really solidified it. And part of my experience at Syracuse was doing a show uh, called Connect that actually the students put it together, but it aired on one of the local TV stations. And it was more of like a 60 minutes style show. And I loved that ability to dig. I didn't do any investigative reporting there, but to be able to take a topic and really explore it and have the room to let it breathe, I loved that and I was sold. Uh, my first job out of college, I, I graduated early and went straight to Toledo, Ohio. And I knew, I mean, I definitely was in an East Coast bubble. And especially if, if you, anyone listening to this is from New England, 
<laughs> nothing exists outside of New England. Boston is the center of the universe. There's just nothing outside and of that. And a sports analogy, which you may not care about, if it's not <laughs> Red Sox-Yankees, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Exactly. So I had no concept of what Toledo was. It just was kind of like this like blob out there in the Midwest. And I, I moved out there a couple weeks after graduating to take my first job. I probably had no business being there. I was 21. Uh, the station hadn't, didn't really have a history of hiring people that young at that point. And when I first got there, I kind of looked around and went, I don't know if I can do this. And it really, I, I was... Because of the location, because of the unfamiliarity, or, or because the job was The job, I mean, I, so I was, I was one man banding a bureau. So that means, you know, and a lot, a lot of people do this, their, their first jobs out of school, right? So I'm not just being the reporter. I am shooting all my video and editing it and running my own live Which shot. Which means carrying all that gear and interviewing people at the same time. And because I was running a bureau by myself, I was working by myself all day. Yeah, so a bureau is a, a satellite location away from the main television right. station. So even coming back, I, I didn't have necessarily that camaraderie. If I was running into an issue, I had to, you know, draw a lot of attention to it because someone wasn't necessarily going to see it. And it it was really hard work. And my job was to establish this presence in a county that we didn't really have much of a foothold in. So you're building sources from the ground up and you're you're starting something new, which was exciting and ended up being a, a great experience professionally. But it was really hard, especially those first few months when I, I didn't know anyone. And I'm looking, you know, my friends who are still in college are going on spring break. And it was just, um, it, it was a tough time. And I, I didn't know if I would stick it out. And then I had an opportunity to move to our station's morning show and do our live reports and come up with enterprise news stories that were still visual. And that changed everything because I was excited to go to work. I was good at finding unique story ideas, which is how I got that role. And that helped me develop it. I was live every day, which was a great skill. But then... After my morning show reports were over, my job was to set up my live reports for the rest of the week, but it also gave me time to work on more in-depth stories. And our morning anchors were our investigative team. And my news director, to his credit, did not laugh me out of his office, you know, when I, at 22 years old, said, I want to try my hand at some investigative reports. And he said, okay, pitch me an idea. We'll kind of, we'll walk you through it beginning to end. We'll see how you do. And if it goes well, you can do more. What a great opportunity that is because not every local television station has the resources, the ability to say, yeah, go ahead and try your hand at that. You've got to feed the beast. We need this. We need that. And your day is full of just getting something on the air today. And if I had stayed working a day shift, which I know for a lot of people is more the ideal, right? Monday through Friday, nine to six. I, I don't think I ever would have had that opportunity. But being on in the mornings and starting my day at 3 a.m. gave me that opportunity. And I, I loved it. Uh, and so they let me keep doing investigative 
reports. Um, you know, I would do two every sweeps period. That's, you know, the months where they measure our ratings. And then I had an opportunity to go to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, which is where my family is. And the news director there liked that I enjoyed digging. So my job there was actually producer slash reporter. And being a producer really helped my investigative career. Which means what? So the, a producer is someone who is putting the newscast together. So if I'm producing our 5 p.m. newscast, then I am going through and and I'm working, you know, with our news director to decide what story should be in there. But then I'm deciding what do these stories look like? What order do they go in? How long are we devoting to each story uh, in terms of the, the graphics that we use? What do those look like? The producer is the playmaker of the show. And having that experience gave me an ability to, one, do someone else's job and see how everything's kind of linked, but it also gave me more one-on-one time with our anchors who were fantastic reporters, who knew how to dig, who had this incredible wealth of knowledge. And they really mentored me because we had more of that FaceTime. We had that one-on-one. They saw I was interested in that. And so, again, this news director did not laugh me out of his office when at 23, I went in with a pitch for our station to start its first ever investigative unit. And by the way, please put me on this unit. Yes. And it didn't happen right away. But he was intrigued. And this news director, Dave Jones, he made it happen. So when I was 24, I became a full-time investigative reporter. Was it 24? Maybe it was 25. When I was about 25, full-time investigative reporter. And that, I mean, I just felt like at that point, this is where I'm supposed to be. And then the job at Fox 6 comes along. My husband's from the Midwest, so it was, you know, moving closer to his family at that point. It was moving away from mine, but closer to his. And that's where I said, I remember coming out for the interview and going, these are my people. This is something where, you know, I've in every station I've been at, I've been part of starting something, which is great. But then coming here was a chance to still bring something new, but join an established team that already did this well. And maybe there was something else I could bring to add to that. And I do think, and I want to take the opportunity to kiss up to my bosses. No, (laughs) no, for real, legitimately, I want to say, I think that's the point where we say what a great opportunity we have at Fox 6 and what a great thing it is that Fox 6 does to invest in investigative reporting. And there are stations all over the country now that have sort of climbed on to the bandwagon or or the idea that an investigative unit's important because you have to do things that nobody else is doing for viewers to say, why should I watch you versus them? Um, Maybe they like the meteorologists, maybe they like the anchors, but beyond that, we're mostly covering all the same stories. So what is it you do that's different? And investigative reporting is an area where you can separate yourself. And Fox 6, for a long, long time, has invested in that. And before I came to Fox 6 News, there was a reporter named Bob Siegel who started this unit. Bob Siegel is... A legend. He's a legend. He's a guru. He was sort of... uh, He was my mentor. Um, And he founded the unit uh, under a news director named Bob Clinkingbeard. Now, now, when you talk about bureaus, 
Bob started as the Kenosha Bureau reporter for Fox 6 News. He actually moved to Kenosha because they told him you're going to be the Kenosha guy. And at one point, Clinking uh, Beard went to, we called him Clink, he went to Bob Siegel and said, I want you to be our investigative reporter. And that means you need to come work here in Brown Deer, which is a suburb of Milwaukee. And he said, but I live in Kenosha. <laughs> you know, you told me I was going to be the Kenosha guy. But he saw something in Bob. He knew he was going to be good at this. And they worked it out, and Bob became the investigative reporter. Bob is a fantastic, outstanding, long-form reporter. He's won multiple Peabody Awards, which is one of the highest honors in journalism. IRE, Investigative Reporters and Editors, Headliner Awards. He's outstanding. And they decided, we want to expand this unit. Because the one thing about Bob's reports were, they were infrequent. He was doing deep, deep dives, but he wasn't on the air very often. And they said, we want someone to be on the air more often while you do these deep, deep dives. And they opened up a second position. And I was working in Kansas City at the time, doing special project work, which was sometimes investigative, sometimes not. And I saw that and I said, investigative reporter, that's what I want to do. And I applied and I got the job and I worked with Bob for a year and a half maybe. And that year and a half, I learned more than I've learned the rest of my career because Bob was was so good at what he does. Um, but I then became, when he left to go to Indiana a year and a half later, I became the sole investigative reporter. And that's when they brought in, uh, a short time later, brought in Megan Dwyer, who was an outstanding, and she was young when she came in. She had worked in Rockford prior to coming to Milwaukee, smaller market, came to Milwaukee and just hit home runs, knocked it out of the park left and right. She's now in Chicago, which is no surprise. And then she left, and I was worried at the time that when she left, they'd go, you know what, we're fine with one investigative reporter, we don't need two. We'll save some money, we can put that money elsewhere. But to Fox 6 News' credit, they said, we want to keep this team the way it's been. We want two investigative reporters. And they started searching, and, and I still remember, and I'm going to take a little bit of credit for this, for, for, <laughs> for being the one who said, you know, Amanda's the one, you know, I... She's going to be a star, right? <laughs> no, but but there, were, there were a couple of finalists that the news director, John Laporte, came to me and said, look at these tapes and tell me what you think. And there were two. And one of them was this super polished L.A. West Coast style reporter who was looked like large market, ready to go to the big time. But clearly, this was just a stepping stone on the way and investigative reporting was not going to be her thing. She was going to be maybe an entertainment reporter somewhere and was going to knock it out of the park in that realm. But I didn't want that. I wanted to work with someone who really cared about investigations. And I saw your tape and, and I said, that's someone who gets it. She's going to be really good at this. And, and I went to, to the news director and I said, if you hire this other one, and I think, you know, if John's listening, I think John wanted to hire the first one because she was so polished and was looked big market and would probably look great on a billboard because she looked real LA. And I said, you're going to have her for a year and she's going to be gone and she's not going to be good at this. Amanda's going to be good at this. And, and he said, I hear you. And he hired you. And I think it was the best decision he could have made because you have knocked it out of the park. Well, thank you. Yeah. I, I, I think that our team collectively I think we knock it out of the park because we know how to build off of each other. And so for people listening to this who don't 
know all the ins and outs of investigative reporting. There's a real, there are a lot of ups and downs to it, right? So sometimes we get our, we get story tips. Sometimes we just wonder, oh, I wonder what's here. Maybe I'll file some public records requests. Sometimes we dig deeper into an issue we're covering every day. But there are days where you're just buried in numbers, in spreadsheets, in re- you'll do an entire day's worth of research for maybe one line in your story, or it ends up just becoming background knowledge that informs your reporting, but never makes it in the final piece. And I think everyone goes through a period where you're just buried in information, you're, you feel overwhelmed by your story, you're wondering, am I even getting this right? Is there even anything here? Am I any good at this? Why are they having me do this? Because when you're doing this work, you're not on air every day. Sometimes, I mean, I've I've had times where I've been off air for a month. Uh, I think the longest was, was two months. And that's a long time in journalism when you have other reporters who are on air every day. And then you find that nugget or you find that piece that you were looking for or you get that interview that you've been chasing down that ties everything together. And then you start to kind of come back up from that low, right? But it's it's a lot of highs and lows in this business. And it's we've talked about this before on the podcast. It's a weird mix of uh, crippling self-doubt and a <laughs> massive amount of ego, right? And you you need both, but it's a it's a tug between the two back and forth. And the reason we can keep persisting with that, I think is in part because we have each other, because we can bounce ideas off each other or say, hey, I'm struggling with the script. Can you take a look at it and be willing to not just see it as, you know, me, 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 my stories, what I'm working on, but that we're able to truly collaborate. And that's that's what I love most about this team. It's been one of the hardest things about the pandemic. I mean, mm-hmm. here we are sitting in person doing this podcast in person for the first time in two years. Almost, yeah. And it's strange to be in person, but that's, and we've talked about this before, that's what I miss the most is the in-person collaboration to have all of us, Jenna and producer Pete and Sarah, and, and we're talking about story ideas or we're bouncing ideas or going, maybe you should go that direction. What if we did this? We can hop on a Zoom that we've pre-planned and whatever, but the impromptu teamwork um, is something that we don't get to do as much anymore. And, and I definitely miss that, that part of being an I-team. Um, and, and, you know, hopefully that's going to resolve itself in the not too distant future. Go away, Omicron. Um, but it, it's, uh, it's something that makes this job unique. It is. And I think because it's you're always evolving and sometimes you go back and you look at work you've done and go, is there more to do with this or do I need to reexamine the premise of what I looked at? you know, two years ago or three years ago or five years ago. So it's you're never really done with a story. And I think that's what makes this unique. And it's what makes that ongoing collaboration so crucial. But I, I and I learn a lot even just by watching your work and how you work and the way you approach a story, which may be different sometimes than the way I approach a story. But when we are able to see each other work and you take bits and pieces and you work it into your own style, I think that's where you get to a point where you have team members that are really 
complementing each other instead of trying to either mimic each other or be total opposites. So if if investigative reporting is done right, it truly is a, a team effort and hopefully an example of what can be accomplished when you have people truly working together as a team. We are skipping our off the record segment this week because honestly, this entire conversation was kind of like an off the record One segment. One giant off the record segment. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but if you have a topic you want us to discuss on open record, an issue you think we should investigate, as always, please send us an email. You can send your emails to fox6investigators at fox.com. Again, that is fox, the number six, investigators at fox.com. As always, thank you to all the people who make this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. With that, I'm Brian Polson, and for Amanda St. Hilaire, we'll be back again next week. Mm-hmm.